Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hoth. And each week on The Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Adam Beard. Adam joined the GB Bobsleigh setup as a pilot ahead of the 2019-20 sliding season. He made his GB debut in Winterberg on the Europa Cup circuit in December 2019 when he finished 24th alongside Lawrence Taylor. A serving member of the Royal Marines for 12 years, he began his bobsleigh career competing for the Marines and the Royal Navy in 2017. Adam comes from an active sporting background, having competed at national level in powerlifting, as well as rugby union and rugby sevens for the Royal Marines and rugby league for the Royal Marines and the Royal Navy teams. His time in the military has seen multiple deployments around the globe, including a tour of Afghanistan in 2020. 10. So welcome on to the show, Adam. Hey, how you doing, everyone? Good to have you on. Obviously, I, I said you, you uh, piloted alongside Lawrence Taylor. For the American audience, that is not the former American football player. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, you are very, very unique in terms of where your background, in terms of just the Royal Marines of um, I can't think of the advert. What, what's the sl- the slogan? So so I don't butcher it. But it used to be ninety nine point nine percent need not apply, didn't it? It's a state of mind now. Is that but, so? Um, it's a yeah. little bit more uh, current and a little bit more respective of mental health. Uh, I don't know, to be honest. I think it was a bit. Um, I think it sort of discouraged a few people with Verney saying 0.01% could could apply when anyone can apply, really. Uh, it's just if you've got the state of mind um, to do it, the mental sort of fortitude, really. Because you can make anyone fit like a, a Royal Marine. It's just, you know, will your mind break, really? Uh, so I think they've gone on that avenue now. Do you think it? Do you think it's a when we say state of mind, do you think programs of what we were discussing uh, off air, like Ant Middleton uh, Mm. and other BBC programs there, that they've taken, you know, not the best of the best, but people from general populace and and taken them through multiple basic trainings and taken them to breaking point. Do you think that shows, it doesn't matter how physically fit you are, it's it's going to test your mental resolve. Yeah, always, always. I mean, anything you do in the Royal Marines, you, you, you're tested sort of physically and mentally. And it's when you, when you, the day you walk through Commando Training Centre gates at the train station, you you sort of get, get that instilled into you straight away. Uh, things are going to be hard. Um, but, you know, it's like the saying goes, you know, tough times don't last, tough people do. Um, so it's you just you just got to sort of learn it, I think. 
Um, and it's just it's just the, the way we, we live and breathe, really. I mean, I don't really think too much about it anymore. Um, I don't have to sort of think, pull myself together. It's just, it just happens because it's just what we get bred to do. Do you think that's why you've been so successful over a multitude of sports then? I'd like to think so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I would definitely, definitely say my sort of, um, how well I've done in sport and stuff is definitely off the back of being a Royal Marine and passing out of commando training, definitely. Um, I don't know where I'd be, to be honest, if I didn't join the Corps. Um, but I'm bloody thankful I did, to be fair. What, why do you say that then? Um, I don't know. I just, I remember wanting to join the army and then I wanted to be a pilot in the RAF. And then for some reason, I just wanted to be a Royal Marine. I don't know if it was because it was the hardest one to do uh, for basic training or what, but I just gave myself a, a sort of a standard and that was the standard I wanted to meet. Um, got into training, 17 years old, just at no point did I think I'm going to leave. I need to, I need to go home. I just stuck with it and just sort of grizzed it out. It just happened. Do you think, and this is going to be a bold statement for for me to put out there. Do you think the Royal Marines are the hardest basic training period of any forces in the world? Well, that's that's what it says on the internet. Yeah, I'd probably agree, but I can't say because I know for a fact the powers are... Their, their sort of training is very hard and probably up there with us as well. And they are great blokes. I've worked with Paris. There's Paris in our in our um, bobsleigh team and they're, they're absolutely fantastic blokes. And if we were to work together, I have no doubt in my mind we'll be on the same same song sheet, same page. Um, because they too have the same sort of mentality as what we do. Um, you just, you know, it's, the mental resilience with those guys is just um, is just phenomenal sometimes. Um, definitely on the same, definitely on the same uh, wavelength. The only, the only difference is the sort of the badges we wear and the beret. Um, but we're, we're essentially, we're the same blokes, for sure. And 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 I'm interested and curious about you know your transition from going from rugby, rugby league, rugby yeah, yeah. Main, mainstays you're, in this, you're a rugby in guy this well, country. Well, I've I've done I've done league, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what what possessed you to you know, want to get into a bobsleigh and, and, and chuck yourself down the slope in the first so, place. So when I first got recruited for bobsleigh, I, before I joined the call, I was a powerlifter and I was, I was pretty good at it. I was British champion. Um, and then, I then joined the call, passed that training, stopped doing the powerlifting for that time because that was just no good for running around uh, sort of the bottom field and the assault courses and, and you know, raw means training. Um, so I passed out training. I got into the rugby team, and I basically got sighted because I was on the wing. I was I was quick anyway, uh, and they they'd obviously see me in the gym, uh, the competitions after I passed out. You know, lifting decent weights, and they just said, "Look, you you know you're you're pretty good athletic uh, sort of standard. You need to sort of help give this a go." And I thought, "Nah, you're all right." <laughs> and then they pestered me again the next year, and I was like, "Okay, I'll, I'll give it a go." And it's just. I just sort of fell in love with it straight away. What What was the inkling at start then? You said, "No, nah, it's not for me." What? Why did you have that kind of? Th- I think it's purely because we're sort of a, a, a summer sport, aren't we? Summer uh, sort of Olympic, you know, athletics, 
uh, rugby, all that kind of stuff. Bobsleighing, sort of winter sports, isn't really a, a thing in the in the UK. Um, so I think that's probably what put me off to begin with. But my only my only downfall was I should have done it earlier. Uh, I wish I I wish I got asked to do it as soon as I passed out of training. Because um, God knows where I, you know where I could have could be if I did that. By the by saying you know if you'd have started earlier, is there an element of regret or, or not really? No, absolutely not. Because I never I never had that um, that opportunity given to me back then. Um, as soon as I got given the opportunity, I did it, uh, and I'm here today now in the position I am because I took that took that opportunity. You know, if, if someone asked me five six years ago or ten years ago to do it, I'd have probably done done it then. You know. You know, time time will come, I suppose. And when that person asked me to to join the team, that was the time. And do you think, like, like we were discussing off air, of now you being released from the navy to be able to become a full time athlete? Do you think the results will come? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm working from home at the moment off a laptop because uh, I sort of do like a logistical job for the NCHQ at the moment um, because of my training as well which has really helped um and I can see already like I'm resting a lot more I'm eating a lot more you know all those little factors create a massive you know tick in the box for being an athlete you know and you know, you know only too well with yourself being an athlete you know it's not just going to the gym and competing it's all the other niff naff and trivia to some people but actually to us it means a big thing like nutrition your rest and recovery, uh, it just means it, it means a massive, you know, a lot when you, especially when you're trying to compete at a high level. Well, I think we gloss over that a little bit, you know, the the, the aspects of rest, recovery, mm. because it's only when you bring it up, Adam, and then actually truly reflect on it, as mm. I remember the importance of it. It was as important as the actual training itself. It was. I need to switch off mentally. I need to recover my body physically. Yeah. And it's just important the the, the amount of rep. I, mean, rep I, I think sleep in some cases as well. Yeah. I think in some cases it's it's just as important as training and competing. It sort of comes in a three rest rest and nutrition, training and competing, I think all merges together. You can't have one without the other two. We can't have two without one missing. It just doesn't work. But do you think, obviously, from the environment that you come from, you need to be able to operate with limited amounts of sleep? Yeah, yeah, which I think is a... It's definitely something that we can take forward with us, you know, because, you know, at the end of the day, we, we... you know, you might have to go do something as a Royal Marine Commander on exercise or on ops or something. You might have a niggle. Um, you might have hurt yourself. But you have, you're sort of in that mentality of it's still going to get done. There's a job to be done and it will be done. Whereas as an athlete, you might think, I need to rest that. You know, if you're in that sort of wartime situation, there is no sort of resting. If something needs doing, it needs doing properly unless you're actually injured badly and you need to go off the battlefield so I think that is definitely something um, mentally that we've learned from being a war marine or being in the military that we definitely can take with us um, to the athlete arena for sure but why do you think the Navy 
when it comes to releasing people for something within the space that we live in from a social media perspective yeah. can have an uh, enormous impact on you know their brand versus you know what you were saying with the army oh you're good at this go away go have at it and and, and be uh be I, don't, I don't know and i wouldn't really want to comment on it um i just i couldn't tell you i i don't know if it's just they want to invest and sort of progress their manpower more i i i, I don't know but it has been bloody hard to get released do you, um, do you think it's like i was saying before you know that the historical uh attributes of the navy maybe still living in historic glory of you know um not commanding conquers a video game but be it it was seen as the big navy for so long and being feared by pretty much everybody on the high seas do you think a little bit of that still rubs off a little bit they're still living with tradition I mean, possibly. I mean, you, you never know what's going through sort of the, the hierarchy's minds. Um, it, it may well be that, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I don't know. I, I honestly couldn't tell you. I'm a I'm a small fish in a big pond, really, in the grand scheme of things. Well, that's true. And I appreciate you you being honest in terms of mm. you, you got to be well. You got to tread lightly because you still at the end of the day are a royal mm. marine. You still have to report to the yeah. to be higher up. So I appreciate. Well, you can't answer it wholeheartedly, which is fair enough. And I think people can accept that and appreciate that. But obviously going forward, and if we go back to the days of your first trial run, was it very much like cool running? It was very, (laughs) very much calamity. The the thing is in in, in bobsleigh, when when you're driving or you're braking or anything like that, you know, once you get pushed off the start line, there is no stopping halfway down the track. I mean, you're finishing the track, whether it's up, upright or upside down. You know, there's there's no two ways about it. So you've got to, you've definitely got to have the mindset of you need to concentrate and give it your 100% effort mentally and physically for that one minute, one minute, 12 seconds um, for that period of time, basically. Uh and then you switch off. As soon as you get down the bottom, you switch off because it is so mentally draining trying to drive a bobsleigh and remember all the lines, remember what to do if you get it wrong, how to get back on the line. There's so many variables. It's, it is ridiculous. but And you'll never understand it unless you give it a go. Um, so in, in your opinion, Adam, who's <laughs> got the more bottle, the driver or the brake man? Oh, definitely the driver. The driver's got to learn the track, hasn't he? 100%. Yeah, but the brakeman can't see where he's going. So he's got to have a little bit more faith with you not to crash. Well, when he's on a trainer, he can put his head up. <laughs> see where he's going. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, as drivers, you depend on your brakeman to not only give you the best start, but to look after the sled, sort the sled out. When you turn up to the track, you go do your track walk as a driver and you leave your brakeman and the rest of your team to sort your sled out and they'll sort it out and they'll they'll set it up how you want it to be set up with sort of, you know, how springy you want your runners, uh, how tight you want your bolts doing, all that kind of stuff. And so there's, there's a lot of sort of faith and trust in with each other, which goes together as a, as a team, as, as you'd expect. Um, so yeah, we, as drivers, we are very heavily reliant on our, our 
teammates and brutemen for sure. You don't you don't really think you don't think of that really when when be it you watch the winter games or yeah. you watch There's films that, like Cool Runnings. Ultimately, you see the the extreme of crashes, things yeah. going wrong, them running after the bob uh, and things like that. But you don't think of the brotherhood from a different sense be it this is a team yeah, yeah. sport versus ultimately a lot of British bobslayer and skeleton athletes have come through the forces mm. yeah for sure do you think that that helps to have a system within a system though yeah I mean yeah you, I think you've always got to have sort of plan B's plan C's definitely um, so if you know if I get injured or something, then as the driver, the team can't compete or do anything without me. And likewise, I can't do it without the driver, uh, the brakeman. So I have a spare brakeman with us. If I get injured, I can always sit in. I don't have to push the sled, but we will be at a disadvantage. We'll always, you know, there's always got to be sort of different courses of action for sure. What's the difference between the two and the the four man Bob? Though, out of curiosity. Length and uh, how many people fit in it? Nothing, nothing, nothing more technical than that. Then. I, I haven't driven a four man, um, and it is different steers by all accounts. Um, but it is definitely something I'll be looking to go do hopefully next season, um, because it's not the same to drive as what a two man is, uh, just purely because of the length of it and the weight of it as well. Uh, you, you can hit a lot. Quick, you can go a lot quicker in a four man than you can in two man because it's a gravity sport. You know, it's a, there's a lot more meat in the back of it um, with with sort of guys and girls. Um, so yeah, it go a hell of a lot quicker, which means your action times need to be different, your steers need to be different. And do you think this is one way that you're gonna? Because you said early on you wanted to be an RAF pilot. Is this it's close enough <laughs> going to get to the RAF? No, absolutely not. I've, I've uh, Buried that hatchet a long, long time ago. I don't even think about that anymore. No, but I mean, in terms of you know, um, oh gosh, top the uh, Top Gun slogan, but you know, feel this, feel that I can't remember what it, what it is, even though they've made a remake of it recently. But in terms of having to deal with the gravitational pull of of the sport and the G forces, um, I mean, as a as a driver, you don't really feel the G force because you're set up right. You just you sort of just get knots from side to side, but if you're a brakeman, your head is in between your legs because you need to get that sort of aerodynamic profile. So the lower you get, the better. Um, you get sucked into the bottom of the sled when you're going around the big corners, especially the Chrysler, which is sort of a you know between 180 and 360 uh, corner. You get some real G's in those, uh, and yeah, you really do feel it uh, as a brakeman for sure. So that's uh, no, it's definitely something I. Uh, I'm glad I don't experience anymore. To be fair, but can you truly prepare yourself for for those G forces, or, or not? Not really. I think it's just getting up, getting on the ice, and doing it. Uh, I no, I don't think you can. I think it's. I think it's pretty much sort of the same as like an F1 driver. You know, they they progress from going from you know is it F3 to F2, F1, different cars. Um, you just you just keep going. Same with us. You know, we, we polish our runners or we have little nudges off new tracks um, and then you progress it. You polish your runners up even more. You run it off quicker and quicker and quicker. 
uh, which then gets you faster down the bottom of the track, which means the G-force will be bigger as well. Uh, you'll climb the corners higher than what you would do if you were sort of nudged off. Um, yes, yeah, so that's that's probably the only way you can sort of prepare yourself. And how long would you spend overseas? Because ultimately, we like 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 we've like we discussed in the very beginning, we're a homegrown summer sport, even though we don't have the weather to go with it. But yeah. in terms of how long would you spend on, be it in continental Europe or in the North North America? So this season we're we're staying in Europe. America's out the question, and it, it would be out the question anyway because of funding. Um, but my my main priority this year with the team is to get around Europe, do the Europa Cup uh, races, and learn as many trucks as I can. Uh, COVID dependent as well. Um, so we've got planned from the twelfth of November. We're, we're going on ice for for five weeks, coming home for Christmas, going back out for three, coming home, and then going back out again for two. So we've got 10 weeks on ice, 10, between 10 and 11 weeks on ice, which is a fairly decent chunk. Uh, the senior teams have got quite a lot more uh, time, just purely because they've got a lot more races to get done. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head how much that is, um, but they basically finish off in um, Beijing at the um, Olympic test event to test the track out, basically. And what's up to, up to now, Adam? What's been the hardest track for you to learn? Um... It's different. They're all diff- really different tracks. I mean, I've only done, I've only driven three tracks. Uh, no, sorry, four tracks at the moment. Um, I went over to America and did Lake Placid. Um, a lot of people say Lake Placid is one of the hardest in the world. Um, I went there for a week. I didn't crash. I just, I just applied myself. Uh, I didn't go mental with starting. I just went there to learn how to drive the track. And by all accounts, it is one of those tracks where it's, a lot of rescue driving. Um, so if you if you get something wrong, you can correct it quite easily. Um, needless to say, it will bite you in your ass if you don't get it right, because uh, it is quite a quite a sort of devastating track for your for your brakeman and you. It beats you up quite quite badly. Um, so if you don't get the, you do have to steer in the right right places, but there's a lot of sort of you can rescue steer it, uh, as one of the coaches put it. Um, we're going to Altenburg this year, which is the, supposedly the hardest track in Europe. So I'll give that one a crack. But all the um, all the tracks vary. Uh, Koenigsee, which is one of my favourite tracks, that's um, that's probably one of the slowest tracks you can go to. Uh, but it's really technical. There's a lot of technical turns in it. Um, Altenburg is a mixture, apparently, of the hardest corners in the world mixed onto one track. Uh, and there's sort of like a little story behind it where the Germans made it in secret in a wood um, to create this track that was the hardest in the world to be the best in the world. Um, and then somebody found it one day. <laughs> like, what track's that? <laughs> and it's obviously on the circuit now. But uh, yeah, the Germans are the best in the world. Um, I probably wouldn't put it down to them building a track, but they've got all the facilities. They've got four tracks in their country. And it's on their doorstep. And... Do you think that's what why they're trying to from from um a progression of sport wise? Do you think that when they design a new track, it's trying to test the driver ultimately to, to just make it either more technical, put a little bit of things that they'd never seen before, just to you know we've got to get the best out of that individual. I don't know to be honest. Um, obviously, it needs to be technical. It needs to be fast. Um, 
and it needs to be able to put on a show, especially when it's going to the Olympic Games. It's going to be on TV for the whole world to see. Um, with regards to making stuff that people haven't seen before, I mean, I, I highly doubt you're going to see a loop-de-loop anytime soon. Um, but, uh, you know, the, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what goes through a, a bobsleigh track builder's mind because I've never met one. Um, but, yeah, the, the track in Beijing looks very similar to most of the other tracks. Um, obviously, it's got its own sort of corner sequence, um, and they put a Chrysler in. If I don't know if there's a Chrysler on that one, which is the big loop, and that, that's there to slow you down at the end of the day. But it's a big pressure corner, and some of them have got different pressures, uh, which make it harder to drive. Um, so, I mean, no one's going to know how hard that, that truck is to drive until it's built, and they throw someone off the top of it. So, good luck to whoever whoever the first person hits. Um, yeah. Well, I, th- it's, it's, I think it comes down to well, it's not a bottle because you're pretty in your own way crazy because mm. I mean, you're doing a winter sport that's dangerous uh, mm. um, in in no uncertain terms and maybe not as crazy as say somebody doing the, either the luge or the, the skeleton because there's no protection whatsoever but in terms of you know the 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 event itself, I'd say it's probably the. Would, I would probably class it as if we were to use the Olympic, some Olympics. You know, the hundred meters is the blue mm. ribbon event. No, no. If so, but in terms of my opinion, I'd say probably Bob says that for the the. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with you as well because it's it's definitely one of those sports where it's it's pretty much one of the only team events I think at the Winter Olympics. Other, uh, other than ice hockey, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and it's who doesn't love speed and and people crashing and you know, is an it is an amazing sport and you know whether whether bobsleighers like it or not, cool runnings made it famous. You know the Jamaican lads are the you know they are the most famous guys on the on the circuit. They they made the sport essentially famous at the end of the day. Uh, so everyone knows everyone knows what bobsleighers. Which is well, good for us. It's, it's fun to no. It's I, I, I'd say that definitely the last run of the competition is exciting because it's ultimately mm. you know the slowest to the fastest. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. One little mistake here or there can cost yeah. you a medal. Yeah, I mean the sport is one and hundredths, uh, if not tenths. Um, I remember somebody got put out the other day. Um, Sean Olsen, who's a ex-para, who's got a, a bronze medal with his um, with his uh, brakeman, uh, and they were doing something for Black History Month, and they were sort of the only two black guys on the circuit at the time. It's I think it was two nineteen eighty eight Nago Games, um, and they, they were saying like they 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 come down, and there was three other rate, uh, sleds to go back to go past them uh, or after them, sorry. Um, and sort of the the sled who went behind them uh, after them came in two hundred slower than them, which gave them a medal. And you know, over three miles worth of ice on three different um, slides is you know, that's very very close, very close. So yeah, it can be won. Um, two thousand eighteen, the two man that was that was a dead heat. So the first two guys, the Germans and the uh, Canadians, both gold medal over four four uh, slides. Both got exactly the same time. So, what would they do if if that happened again? Would they not look to to, to uh, 
instead of having a dead heat, make them do it one more time and see if we can't separate the two. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but they both got the they both got the gold. I think somebody missed on the silver, and then somebody got the, the bronze. I think that's how they work it. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of the peculiar things about the sport. So you know, it does happen. Well, I think it brings a, you know an emotional um, attachment to it as well because if you watch, well, we've got a history with skeleton women now because yeah. they've won so many golds, but you know the BBC get very animated when it's that, especially that last run when uh, I think it, I think we do, I can't remember if we got two two when when the when when another country makes a mistake and it, it puts somebody in a better position, it's. And probably irrespective of the country, probably every country probably does it off. This, yeah. oh, like especially when it's a shock medal, it'll be mm. oh, such we we'd like we 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 kind of cross our fingers that this country makes a mistake. Ultimately, you don't want them to make a mistake because it it could be pretty catastrophic from an injury perspective. But ultimately, that's how we are as human beings. You want somebody to make a mistake if you're yeah 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 yeah. You never want to. You never want to see anybody hurt themselves. That's fact. Regardless if you're the worst enemy on the circuit, you know we're competing in a sport. At the end of the day, we're not fighting each other for for, for grand. Um, but yeah, you, you always do in the back of your mind. Regardless of who you are, you do wish your competitors muck up and you can capitalise on it for sure. Definitely, definitely. But. What do you put? What do you put down to when somebody makes a mistake? Is it just a, a lack human of error. Human, human error, and that's it? I would say so. Yeah, unless something happens with your kit, it is pretty much human error every time. Um, and that can be from as one of your guys slipped on the block, uh, which has caused you a couple of hundredths, maybe a tenth on the start, which can be three tenths, three hundredths at the bottom. Um, did your driver take his hand off the D-ring, which is the steering device, or did he get knocked a little bit? Uh, it, there's so many variables. Um, and I, you probably will never get the same time and same speed uh, ever again. You know, it just the track changes that much. And it's all down to sort of track condition, weather, um, and how the, the track has been sort of cut as well by the, by the ground workers. So it, it changes every time. So that is so. In terms of that, then Adam is it probably the most complex sport because even ice hockey they try and resurface mm. the ice the same as it was the period before. Do you think that it brings a different sense of what's the word I'm going to use? Excitement because ultimately. It's going to yeah. change from what run I mean, to run. Bobsleigh is very much F1. You know, all the teams are trying to work out what the other teams are doing to their sleds and how the other teams are training. You know, there's everyone is always away tinkering, tinkering with the sleds, trying to, you know, get those extra one percenters and extra milliseconds out the sled, uh, whether that be loosening a few bolts, making it a bit more springy. You know, it's just the world's the oyster when it comes to it. And everyone's always trying to work out what everyone else is doing. Uh, and I'm sort of only just beginning to realise, you know, because I'm so junior at the sport, uh, how much it, it means to actually make sure you've got your setup correct. You know, some teams even change their sled set up for dependent on tracks. Um, 
And the, I saw the only way you can do that is by by being invested in and going to those tracks constantly so you know exactly what works. You know, have you got the right sled for starters? Um, that's going to be fast. And then you work out how to set that sled up for that particular track. And then, you know, they log it. You know, that, that's where the funding comes in as well. Uh, if you've got the time and money, you know, you're going to, you're going to be on your road to being successful. Um, definitely. In this modern age, then, you know, I'm talking and I'm going back right back to 88 and cool runnings. Do you think that's possible now if you were to rock up with a second hand sled? Probably not. No. I mean, you look at F1. Um, Lewis Hamilton is the best driver, or is he? Is he just got the best kit? You, you, you'll never know. You know, well, they, all, be... they all keep trying to keep up with, um, I almost said McLaren then, uh, Mercedes. Yeah. Uh, but Mercedes always seems to be one step ahead of the sport. Because they've got the funding. You know, they, they are the Germans. Uh, in F1, they're, they're the they're the bobsleigh guys, you know. Um, they've got all the funding in the world. They know they've worked out how to make those two cars the best in the world, and everyone's just playing catch up now. Regardless if their drivers are the best drivers or not, obviously they are very good. Don't take anything away from them, but there may be somebody else who is more talented and better in a different car, which is slower. Uh, you just you just never know. You just never know. But is that why people are lackluster in terms of, you know, they they want to, they lose a little bit of interest with F1 after a certain while because oh, the same person's going to win after. If we use this it season, seems that way, doesn't it? Well, even, mean, even, yeah. even won the British Grand Prix on free, on free tyres. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it does seem that way. I mean, there's, we don't, in bobsleigh, there's not that many run uh, races to sort of compete at the same level as what Lewis is doing. Uh, be it the, uh, the Germans have won, Francesco's won, I don't think he's lost a race yet in the last couple of seasons, I don't think, don't hold me to it. But um, it's definitely exciting watching him go down every time. Even if you expect him to win, it's amazing how he wins. Yeah, um, well, if, if you were to lose one of your, um, I can't think what he's called, Skate. Well, running. One of the runners, yeah, be a pretty catastrophic accident, though. Yeah, well, yeah, and you'd be disqualified as well because you've got to if you if you crash and everything comes across the line with you, um, then you can sort of get away with it, and it's it's classed as a a run. But if if a runner comes off and doesn't cross the line with you, then it's, it's a disqualification. Whereas Lewis lost a wheel and managed to finish the race and still win. Um, it's obviously different different rules for us guys. Well, you can't. Um, but something, something bad's happened if you if your runner's fallen off. I'm trying <laughs> to think. Big time. I think cool something like something like that happened in cool runnings. Oh, like I can't flip remember. upside down, but yeah. obviously, uh, is that still allowed if they were to cross the if they were to carry it across the line? That's that you're. But I think. Well, well to... yeah. The, the time doesn't stop until you cross cross the line, um, and very rarely. I don't think it's even possible on race day because you're running off as fast as you possibly can. You are going to go across the finish line, regardless if you're upside down or not, because of the speed you're carrying. Um, if you're doing training runs and it's a really slow track because it's frosty or whatever, you know, if you crash early, you might not make the, the finish line. 
and that's 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 the difference. Um, but yeah, that is the rule. If you if you crash and still finish upside down with everyone in the in it and nothing's fallen out of your sled and you haven't left anything on the ice, then yeah, it's it's allowed. You will be probably last, but it is allowed, and you can do another run. Do you think that's why? What 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 in your opinion gave the Jamaicans the respect <clears throat> in the sport? Then I think it was just very much a nobody had any faith in them because they were. I mean, there's snow's never probably probably ever been in Jamaica, has it? Um, and it was I'm just aware some, of no. Yeah, it was just something very different for the world to see. It was like when Eric the Eel jumped in the in the swimming pool for the first time, and Eddie Eddie the Eagle jumped on his on his ice skates. Uh, on his, uh, well, he, he's, done, he's not done too badly out of being what I call mediocre at best, um, and ultimately good on him for doing something mm-hmm. different. Of, of yeah. sports now massively evolved now that we won't be seeing many of those figure people in, no, not in, in so. I mean, sport I'm, anymore which is it's, it's, it's probably good and bad it's good for yeah. the performance side but for the regular person watching at home it probably discourages you a little bit as an able-bodied person it's like well I can't yeah. relate I mean, to these people now I remember when Eric jumped in the swimming pool because they were talking about him on TV beforehand. And I, I can't remember, where was he from? What uh, country he was from? One of the African countries. I can't remember which one specifically. Yeah, and they were talking about him saying, oh, this guy doesn't, like, he's only just learned how to swim. And, like, everyone tuned in and everyone was cheering for him. It was it was a really nice thing to say. And it was, I think for the Jamaicans, it was particularly, it was probably the same sort of thing for them, you know, same experience for them. Everyone loves the fact that these guys who've never seen ice or snow before were given this sport a go. And now they've got a full full time team, and I know them very well. They're really nice guys. I think I think yeah. the story needs to be redone because I spoke. I had the fortune of of interviewing one of the guys who was in the real team, and he nice. said ultimately, you know, Disney kind of fantasized a little bit, and some of the things some were not true. Um, yeah, 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 and yeah. if they were told to tell the real real story. I think would have a massive impact on people. What if you did do like a documentary, like Michael Jordan type thing, mm. it would give the sport even more respect. Cause it's like, um, yeah. I think one of their, t- is what I, one of the brothers had to step in cause somebody got injured. Well, that yeah. doesn't happen in modern day Olympics cause you can't do that. Cause you can't just, yeah. cause you've got to do, and I give some people some inside knowledge with this. You've got to get your accreditation. I guess something ridiculous. It's at least six to 12 months in, ahead of time. So you have to nominate loads and loads of people. And yeah. if you're not on that list, you ain't going. Definitely not be yeah. competing in, in, in the modern Olympics. So it's, well, it's only it's two years after I was born. So it, it was 32 years ago. So it's, it sport has evolved probably to, stop and elicit cheating because ultimately if you could pop in somebody that's better than somebody else mm. at the last minute you're going to do that so it's probably to discourage things like that but it does make it relatable as you know even being the little minnows mm. um, and you know they referred to themselves of wanted to be like the Swiss yeah, they are some of the best guys in the world at the Swiss, yeah, for sure. But 
coming back to you and and GB, and you know we've got historic success as well. Yeah. Why do you think he's kind of been a little bit lost? You know, like a lost generation in terms of we've kind of gone massively under the radar to almost almost non-existent. Uh, I don't know. I mean, as I say, we've got some of the best athletes. The, the GB1 team are, are, you know, they could be getting medals, 100%. They've got some of the best athletes in the world and they've managed to acquire themselves some of the best kit in the world now as well. Um, so I have no doubt in my mind, in two years' time, if Brad and his crew were on the podium, because they are focused and it is exactly how I want my, my team, once I've got them nailed down, to be. Because they're, you know, they they are definitely the team to be sort to look forward and sort of base your own team off uh, in GB that for sure. Um, the only difference is they they've been on the ice a lot more than everyone else. Um, they've got sort of the the profile. They've got the sponsorship that are looking after them. Whereas us guys who are starting out are finding it really difficult, especially in COVID time, to get the sponsorship money going and just to. Sort of get our foot in the door. We've got loads of potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, it's sort of having that mental aptitude to just keep going. Uh, don't give up, uh, which is what I'm not going to do. Is it a sense of, you know, trying to sell somebody a concept now a little bit more when it comes to sponsorship as well? Because you are, yeah, so I mean, raw. yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've got, I've got quite a bit in sort of my pro, uh, portfolio from other than bobsleigh. <laughs> Uh, so I've got like British record and powerlifting, you know, played rugby quite a good level. Um, so I, and obviously the Royal Marines thing as well really does help. And a lot of people want to help you for that. Um, and I've had some somebody helping me from uh, Price Warhouse Coopers. And he's basically shown me how to sell your team, how to be a networker, all that kind of stuff. And it was stuff that I've never sort of had my eyes open to before because I've never needed to. Um, so he's, yeah, I'm very thankful for for um, for Paul Spanner for helping me do that. Um, I'd probably be lost without him. To be fair, um, I wouldn't have generated the sponsorship I have done already without him. That's definitely uh, fact. Yeah, and obviously, I know people listening can tell that you and I probably could have a conversation for hours. Yeah, so I don't <laughs> want to take up too much more of your time. So that moved me nicely to my penultimate question that I like to ask every guest is if you had the opportunity to sit down with any athlete dead or alive for that matter, who would that be and why? I would probably say Chris Hoy. One, because he is British and two, he's in my eyes and fact, the most successful Olympian of all time for Great Britain, isn't he? Uh, And just sort of pick his brains on, on what he did when he woke up and go to sleep, you know, in that, in that time frame in between. Because um, obviously he nailed what it was to be a successful Olympian. Um, yeah, he's definitely someone I'd, I'd like to sit down and chat with. And my final question, Adam, before we wrap up the episode, is if you were to summarise what we've been speaking about into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Always believe in yourself, set yourself a goal, don't give up. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. So once again, Adam, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. No problem, James.
If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Adam and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at beardy1000. So I'll spell that out. That's B-A-I-R-D-Y 1000. So the number 1000. And at the usual James O. Roberts 11. And again, I'll spell that out for you. That's J-A-M-E-S, the letter O, R-O-B, E-R-T-S and the number 11 and again you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook and in addition if you had any follow-up questions don't hesitate to shoot them over as well and finally don't forget to check out Adam's website beard-gb-bobsley.racing so that's b-a-i-r-d-g-b-bobsley b-o-b-s-l e-i-g-h dot racing and as always don't forget to check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and to click on the tab resources and not forgetting i've also started a new facebook group especially for the podcast which you can find by typing in the mindset athlete and finally all the links will be in the description you can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipsyn.com under the category general so once again thanks for listening and i'll catch you next week for another episode of the mindset athlete podcast